0: about the theme of uh, softening up, which uh, we talked about a little bit the other night. I was just thinking that um, some Tibetan masters, some Lama, I don't remember his name, somewhere says that the first manifestation of uh, bodhicitta, which is the, uh, let's say, compassionate commitment uh, towards the uh, highest well-being of all beings. The, the, the first manifestation of, of bodhicitta in a person is a general softening. So, we're talking about something substantial, uh, um, we're talking about the fruit of uh, long and passionate work on ourselves. Um, and of course, uh, even, even occasional uh, softenings are very pleasant and, 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 and useful. But um, what we uh, are talking about is a, a, a deeper process and uh, uh, with more um, or let's say less ephemeral uh, aspects that just a, just a fleeting uh, sense of relaxation. Um, in order for us to to give a closer look to um, this theme, uh, it, it would be helpful if we talk a little bit about about identification, which is uh, another way of uh, indicating the hardening process, the opposite of softening and um, we could use the uh, Eightfold Path in this regard. If you remember, if you recall, uh, there are three factors which make up the section called meditation, section called Samadhi, right effort, right mindfulness and uh, right concentration. The uh, Buddhist tradition, mm, very clearly and beautifully, uh, presents these three factors as three factors which should work always more and more synergistically. Um, I, if you uh, take each of them in an isolated way then you would have a thread, but a woolen thread, but if you uh, more and more work with the three of them uh, together, in a, as I said, in a synergistic way, then the, the metaphor, uh, a very nice one, is that three woolen threads uh, intertwined together makes something very, very strong. Now, when we work with these three factors, one question which uh, often uh, arises is, but what is the difference between concentration and uh, mindfulness, between right concentration and right mindfulness? And it is an important uh, question uh, for many reasons, and we are interested in one reason specifically. What could we we say about this? First of all, um, there is um, um, a lot of overlapping between concentration and mindfulness, in the sense that we can safely say that uh, concentration is uh, a focused mindfulness, is a a focalized, focused uh, form of mindfulness. At the same time though, mindfulness or awareness is wider than concentration. How do we know whether we are concentrated or not? It takes a, a wider dimension for us to know this. It takes awareness. It is because of awareness that we know that, uh, whether we are concentrated or not. Uh, it is awareness which is called uh, the prime minister, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, supervisor. So consciousness, in other words, we need, we need consciousness to know about concentration. So consciousness uh, um, awareness is wider than concentration. But in addition to to seeing this, you know, very to understand, to realize this very um, uh, basic thing, like am I concentrated or not, what mindfulness can do for us is uh, much more. Through mindfulness, let's stay in the technical realm of concentration. of of meditation, sorry. Through mindfulness we can see that we are frustrated because we are not concentrated. And through mindfulness we can see that we are excited because we are concentrated. So this is uh, uh, one step down, one step uh, deeper than what we were talking about before. But through mindfulness we can go even deeper we can see that we are being identified with frustration, and we can see that we are being identified with excitement. And all this comes from mindfulness. Pure concentration cannot do this. So through mindfulness, and this, this shows what a precious tool mindfulness is, we become aware of the slavery of identification, and we get in touch with the possibility of going beyond the slavery of identification—slavery or craziness of identification. You know, if you if we just uh, look at uh, identification from a place of relative peace. Uh, relative wisdom we can see it, we we, we can perceive it as a form of craziness. When we are identified with a frustration, for instance, if you notice everything else and uh, everyone else disappears if you are strongly identified with a frustration. There is only our frustration and so we become completely and totally insensitive to anyone else and to anything else. We become, we become blind, deaf, dumb in this, in this uh, solitude, basically. In this incredible uh, uh, narcissistic uh, isolation and solitude. And this, to different degrees and to a different extent, happens all the time. And the incessant, Identification activity is called I, my, it's called ego. And I think when we fully realize that ego is crazy, we get out of it. But until we have doubts about this, and until we suspect that there could be some wisdom in uh, I, my, then we are stuck. So, seeing, seeing uh, the predicament of, of uh, our incessant, uh, incessant uh, identifying, our incessant, uh, in, in classical term, will be attachment. But as usual, attachment doesn't ever go by itself. It brings always along ignorance and aversion. And uh, if we carefully study identification, we'll, we'll find uh, these three uh, dimensions intertwine all the time. So, um, identification means, means dependency, strong dependency. Maybe it's a more sober word than slavery, but it's the same. Um, um, fear, great fear. Suppose we are identified with an ideology identification means that I see this ideology as myself. So, we depend on, on the good fortune of this ideology to feel well, and we are afraid, and we are afraid that uh, something uh, can happen, uh, that someone can uh, um, attack this ideology, and the moment the ideology gets attacked. We are attacked. The strong dependence or strong slavery. And um, I remember once this student uh, back in Rome who once came up to me, quite dejected, quite depressed, and said, "I don't know what's happening today. I usually, when I feel like this this was about 15 or 20 years ago. This taste is, 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 is getting different, but you say, when I feel like this, I tell myself, I am a communist. I am a communist, I am a communist. And he said, around the sixth or seventh time, I feel better, but <laughs> today it didn't happen. You know, I said tens of times, I, I am a communist and nothing happened. So even, even when, when we are strongly identified with something, with an ideology, we, we even tend to use it in a magic way, uh, as an amulet or something. And then there is uh, another crucial aspect uh, in identification, which we'll uh, deal with soon, which is the judging mind, the activity of the judging mind um, but let 's see uh, another couple of examples to study identification a little bit better uh, like we, we um, suppose someone has to uh, sit an exam and suppose this person um, as a family and has already a very demanding job. So, this person doesn't doesn't have much time to prepare for this exam. And yes, this, this exam is important for him or her. So, this person is obviously worried, preoccupied about this exam. And in addition to the preoccupation, this person is identified with the preoccupation which means total obsession, which means again that uh, only the worry for the exam uh, exists, you know, the rest of the family dead, uh, <laughs> nothing, you know, only, only that uh, obsession. But then suppose that, uh, unexpectedly, some real good news uh, uh, arrive in, in, in the house of, of this person. The immediate effect is happiness, is is relaxation, which always comes with happiness. And what happens is this person uh, is less identified with the preoccupation, starts talking again to the other people in the house. Um, The the, the grip of the identification uh, uh, loosens up. So the preoccupation, the worry, is obviously still there, because it's objective. This exam, again, is important, and, uh, and yet there is inadequate uh, preparation. So the, uh, the fault, the, the worry is there, but the identification, the tightness around it is not, not there anymore. There is some space, some spaciousness, because of the uh, uh, good news. As we were saying this morning in a group practice should become in a sense a ha- like having more and more frequently the equivalent of good news inside of, of, of you know having a degree a measure of contentment, peace, and relaxation, which makes uh, the this identifying uh, uh, work much more possible. I am very fond of, of a Hindu metaphor, which I'm sure many of you know, um, uh, the metaphor of the spoonful, uh, spoonful of salt, which if you, if you put this, a spoonful of salt in a, a, a glass of water, the water becomes very bitter. If you put the same amount of salt in a, in a, in a much bigger uh, container, then you can barely feel the, 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 the salty, uh, the, the bitterness. And yet it's the same, but the container was wider. So this man, uh, who is more relaxed, is like a wider container. So uh, the preoccupation is much less bitter there is less identification, and if we practice uh, at length and in depth, we become a bigger container uh, where identification tends to to happen less and less. Less slavery, less dependence, more freedom, more being available to ourselves and uh, to other people, basically more happiness and less suffering, which is what we are constantly looking for, but oftentimes with the wrong in the wrong way, which is you know the predicament of the the the, the, the human existence. This constant clinging, namely identifying, uh, mis mis misunderstood. Uh, uh, taken for uh, the right way to get to happiness. We can think of uh, something even, even simpler, we uh, are looking for a person, and uh, we um, call this person on the phone, and we can't find this person. And this happens uh, a number of times, so we, uh, since we really need to talk to this person, we end up being disappointed. Now, if we identify with the disappointment, it's one thing. If we don't identify with the disappointment, it's a very different state of mind. Although, since talking to this person is important, disappointment will still be there, but disappointment will not be the boss. Whereas, if we are identified with disappointment, disappointment is the boss. Now we mentioned uh, judging. If we get identified with this, uh, this disappointment, we very easily, we are very likely to start judging this person for not being never uh, where she or he w- should be, or uh, <laughs> other kind of judgments. And see, if we if we look closely enough. And, and maybe uh, 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 at, um, how do you say, um, slow motion, we, we see that from identification we go into judging mind and then from judging mind we go into strengthening of the identification. In other words, judgments strengthen the identification, fixate the identification. The more heavily we judge the situation, ourselves, other people, and the stronger the identification becomes, uh, to a point of non-return. You no, know, when, you know, uh, maybe something happened, we had so identified, and, and so much under the weight of our judgments that even our best friends cannot convince us that uh, we have completely lost our mind. Uh, <laughs> The, the, the effect of, of this um, momentum, you know, identification, judging, judging identification. The other day, um, at the study center, we were talking about this great living um, Thai master, Ajahn Mahabua. Ajahn Mahabhua has a very interesting way of dealing uh, with the kandas, with uh, the five constituents uh, of, of uh, uh, a human being according to the Buddha and Buddhism and uh, has a sophisticated way of dealing with it. And uh, he says, Sanya, which is usually uh, translated as perception or memory, uh, is actually uh, the side of our mind which presumes and assumes, which labels, presumes and assumes all the time. And he says, uh, Sanya is the chief culprit. I, I think, in in, uh, in contemporary words, we could speak about judging mind, this this constant, this constant separation and fixation and 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 in indulging in attachment, aversion, ignorance. Of course, when this capacity to label is purified uh, from what's called kilesa afflictions, attachment and the like, then it becomes very useful. Our Judging mind, our capacity for judgment becomes a very wholesome discernment, but it has to be uh, purified by this tendency to uh, identification, which it, it, it in turn reinforces. And let's also um, think about envy. If we take a movement of envy as an invitation to wake up our mindfulness, we could be envious but not identify with envy. It is as though we had a, a free envy inside us, <laughs> because we are, we, are not, we are not holding it you know, as it happens when we identify with it. If we do identify with it, we start judging, start judging the other person, we start judging ourselves bitterly and strongly, and fixates the, 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 the identification even more. Or if we are in a spiritual path, the movement of envy, instead of uh, eliciting uh, uh, Mindfulness, pure mirror of the pure mirror of mindfulness, which is the core of our practice, can elicit judgment about ourselves because we don't like us to be envious. Now, how is this? Well, it is because we are identified with an ideal model of a spiritual person. Because of that identification, we judge ourselves because we are envious. Again, judgement and strengthening of the identification. So the tool, once again, to work with identification, to work with this Incredibly powerful tendency uh, which is both massive and subtle um, surprising and predictable you know incredible power now to deal with, with this with this thing, the training of affectionate mindfulness of respectful awareness is uh, what really <coughs> Heals what really uh, eases all this uh, incredible contraction, constantly recurring, which means a, back, a constant background of fear in our life. Because it, uh, you know, if we don't do something like an intelligent practice, it doesn't doesn't let up. It is, again, this is samsara, it, 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 like it forms itself again and then um, a moment goes by and then again, another one. Again, the, 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 the bhikkhus who translated Mahabhua often uh, translate dukkha as stress or something which has to do with dukkha as stressful. Now this, this constant contracting and recontracting ourselves in identification is incredibly stressful. You know, we think that our work is stressful, but it's the way we do it that is stressful. The, 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 the incredible amount of identification which we bring to it that is stressful. We think that our relationships are stressful. It's the way we, we are into our relationship with is stressful. So this is the, the axis. This is the crux of, of the practice. Um, we could say that a shift a shift in focus gradually has to happen in our practice or we might call it a change in priority, a change in, in primacy. In other words, again, let's, let's, have, let's have a very simple example. Suppose we, uh, we don't like rainy, rainy weather. And we can just uh, catch ourselves indulging in, in saying I, to ourselves or to other people, I hate this weather, I hate rainy weather. Or I, I I hate this movie. The important thing is our dislike. Okay. Suppose we have no idea of an inner, of what it's, uh, an inner work is like, of what the spiritual wo- work is like. We, suppose we are not being cooked at all. You know, we are just wild. <laughs> so. The important thing is the fact that I hate this weather and I keep repeating it, or that I don't, hate, that I don't like my face, anything. <laughs> but the important, the primacy, is in that reaction, in, the, in our identification with that reaction. You know, the momentum shows Uh, that there is an identification there, all this judging belongs to the identification. What is the shift? The shift in primacy, in priority, is, is that now if we have gone into the practice more and more, the important thing is looking at our dislike. It's not our dislike anymore. This is an incredible shift, you know, before our dislike was the most important thing when we were uh, having it. But as the practice matures, the most important thing and the most interesting thing becomes looking at the dislike, the looking gets in the foreground and the dislike is still there, but goes a little bit into, into the background. This, you know, is an incredibly important shift. Doesn't doesn't as we all know doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it's a gradual. is a gradual process, and I cannot I cannot personally imagine something more extraordinarily important than this. In, in, in the transformation of, of, of a life. See, this means that the most important thing are not anymore emotions or thoughts or ideas or situations, but something, what is it, something, awareness, which is, is not thought, is not emotion, it's not uh, anything physical. Major, a major shift. You know, they, unless one is uh, gone to the other shore, what happens is that the old movement of identification and the new movement. Of awareness, the old primacy and the new primacy are uh, are intertwined, are mixed up together. So sometimes we fall back into the identification with, with contents, and sometimes we wake up, feeling the acute interest for the new movement uh, and the new the new satisfaction, the new happiness at seeing. The new movement gaining ground. Uh, the, 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 the increased capacity, uh, uh, as they say in certain trad- Buddhist traditions, to mix our mindfulness, our awareness with whatever happens in our days. You know, it's as you know, mix. I like the the image It's, it's it's very tangible now if we've been practicing for a while we know that awareness so to speak is or tends to be on duty around the clock it's not an occasional uh, uh, endeavor, it's not um, something which we uh, use in a selective way, although for a long time we do like that, but more and more we understand that its nature is healthy, all-pervasive, and the more we allow this healthy all-pervasiveness, the better. So this means that the main fruit of mindfulness, which is disidentification, is always has, has also uh, a tendency to become all pervasive and uh, to, to to apply to everything more and more. You know, this means that we more and more are going to meet our mind-states because mindfulness, awareness with its disidentifying effect means that we are not avoiding, that we are not feeding forms of identification but we are meeting our anger, our boredom, our whatever. And, and this can account or some fear that one can have when when the practice begins to mature. Because there is a part of ourselves who says, you know, who wants to meet fear or anger or boredom? I don't want to meet my boredom. I can do without that. I can live without meeting uh, my boredom. But the, the, the way of disidentification is exactly going through. otherwise you, you, we will never go beyond if we don't go through. Now, contemplating our identification means becoming one. But, say, becoming one with disappointment, with our disappointment, is the exact opposite to becoming carried away by our disappointment we are meeting our disappointment. We are in a relationship to it. We are not blind slaves. We are not carried away because we are finally, as adults, meeting it, knowing it, understanding it, penetrating it. As Larry was saying the other night, becoming to be intimate with it. So the practice means more and more contact very different from less and less contact, which is the avoiding part in ourselves, which would, uh, would like that, or, or has the big illusion that that is going to, to work. Meet more and more, contact more and more, more and more familiar with whatever is in us, intimate. This is important to understand because the word this identification has some disadvantages, as always happens, you know, with uh, almost every word. You can evoke some, some attitude like this, which is absolutely wrong. We embrace things, and we, this way we disidentify, we, we, we develop non-attachment. It's not this movement, it's, you know acceptance, it's yes. As, yes as a shout of freedom as we were saying the other night So we, we keep we keep uh, disidentifying and at one point at one point in our path we ask ourselves but if I am not my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings, my body, my what am I? What are we? There are different ways of answering to this question. I remember for instance once some Theravada teacher saying it is enough that we know what we are not. And someone with some Mahayanic bent saying, oh, this is the usual uh, enlightened stinginess of Theravada. <laughs> <laughs> or um, we can think of uh, very uh, deep and rich answers uh, of various kinds, both uh, um, either Buddhist or, or from other spiritualities, like, Ultimate nature being uh, shunya, or the beautiful rendering, uh, open boundlessness. All, all this kind of ultimate compassion, all these answers are very helpful in orient in orienting our inner research. But um, let's let's see. Let's forget a little bit for a while about the 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 these important answers. Um, what, um, what, the, what does the practice do, you know, long-term practice, uh, often? What is it? Y- you know, a substantial amount of practice, and not, not, I am not thinking in, in terms of uh, great breakthroughs. Now, one thing which happens, which tend to happen more and more, is that we ask this question more, who are we or who am I? And in a more natural way, easy way, it is as though since we are less interested in a, a, a certain kind of old questions, like how come these things happened to me? Or how come this thing did not happen to me? Which you know revolve around around I my and we have maybe a bit less interest to in this kind of question. Then there is more room, more space for this fundamental and incredibly obvious question: Who, who am I? Who are? What or who are we? And it becomes more frequent and more natural. And. Um, The second point, um, I don't know whether I can express it well, but uh, it's something like this. The way there is a development in the way we ask this question. There is no anxiety in the way, you know, after the practice uh, begins to mature. There's no anxiety, no impatience, no, no curiosity. It's a way of asking this question which has somehow a sense of trust in it and a sense of mystery in it. So we ask it in our thoughts, in our you know, mind states, in a natural way more and more, and more and more the question without an answer brings with itself a sense of trust, a rather mysterious sense of trust. seeing this happening through the practice a number of times. And uh, even uh, certain basic truths, the way are formulated in the the buddhist tradition like say impermanence when we are a little bit more centered and and peaceful inside impermanence takes a different quality you know it's it's we realize that what we call impermanence uh, is often pseudo-impermanence. <laughs> it's something, for instance, which is either... is depressing. But... but uh, impermanence, when we are centred, is neither depressing nor exciting. It is literally awesome. When we, you know, for a short moment, we are free inside enough to be open to the universal flux, we are overwhelmed. There is something awesome. Again, with what's called interdependence. If you are a bit centered, it, it... it ceases to be an interesting concept. Again, it acquires uh, some mysterious quality. I think Brother steindl Rast said that something like, What about belongingness? Interdependence being belongingness. I think it's a wonderful insight. In other words, interdependent means that everything belongs to everything, and everyone belongs to everyone. It's uh, it's very different from our usual way of feeling and thinking. But when it flashes, when it flashes, it it feels so much more promising than uh, spending a life stressing ourselves out to to gain a strong identity so the work of disidentification begins with uh, small negative emotions but tends to become more and more uh, all-pervasive and, and freeing and makes, uh, makes us more capable, being more softened, to open up to what is bigger than our usual way of thinking and feeling. So thank you for listening to my free associations about suffering. <laughs> Let's have a few minutes.